0: Welcome to the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast, where our team of former coaches, players, and MLB scouts will tackle the most critical college recruiting topics. With guests including college coaches, pro scouts, industry insiders, and the ball players themselves, we'll empower you with all the tips and strategies you'll need to gain an advantage in your college recruiting journey. This Sports Force podcast is powered by our partner, 5-Tool Baseball. Okay, let's start the show. Well, all right, here we go, folks. Uh, Another episode of the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast. I'm your host today, Jack Coppinger. So excited to have you with us. We have got a fantastic episode lined up for you. Uh, Our guest today, Jamie Nelson, he's the double-A hitting coach for the Montgomery Biscuits. That is the Southern League affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays, the reigning American League champions. He very graciously sat down with me for an interview via Zoom. And we spoke for about two and a half hours about everything from life to baseball to the specific drills that he works on at the AA level for Rays hitters, several of whom were very key in this year's uh, run to the World Series for the Rays. As you may have noticed, the podcast is not two and a half hours long. We have edited it down into a uh, much more bite-sized chunk. Um, So we hope that you uh, enjoyed the segments that we've chosen to highlight. Um, and I think that all of you hitters, especially, will be able to benefit uh, from the lessons a- and the philosophy that Coach Nelson espouses in this podcast. Um, so before we get started, let me give you uh, his baseball resume really quickly. Uh, so Jamie Nelson, uh, currently the Double A hitting instructor at Montgomery for the Tampa Bay Rays, um, he's a former big league catcher who appeared across thirteen professional seasons from 1978 to 1994. Uh, he was selected out of junior college uh, by the Mets as a pitcher. Uh, was converted into a catcher very quickly and then made his Major League debut in 1983 as a member of the Seattle Mariners. Following the conclusion of his playing career, he joined the coaching ranks and served in a variety of roles in the independent leagues and at the collegiate level, including as the head coach of California Baptist University, where he also earned his degree in kinesiology, and as the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator at California State University Northridge. In 2000, he joined the Tampa Bay Rays organization, then known as the Devil Rays, and then served in a variety of roles uh, over the past two decades, including as a minor league hitting coach, uh, minor league manager, minor league catching coordinator from 2008 to 2012, and then he was an assistant hitting coach uh, on the major league staff from 2013 through the 2018 season. In 2019, he assumed the role of hitting coach at AA, his current position, and is set to return to that role in 2021. We at Sports Force are very excited to have been able to welcome him to the podcast. And we're very excited to bring you today's episode. So without any further ado, here is my interview with coach Jamie Nelson, the double-A hitting instructor of the reigning American league champion Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, You know, again, we're so excited to have you on because you're someone who's been in the game for quite a long time. You, you played, uh, I believe, 14 uh, seasons as professional uh, major major league debut in, in 1983 as a member of the Seattle Mariners uh, and you've worked with the Rays in their organization since 2000. So, uh, quite a lot of experience and, uh, you know, as we, we talked about a little bit uh, before we went live, you said that you've recently, you know, struck oil when it comes to, uh, you know, hitting drills and and, and teaching hitting. So um, why don't we just jump in a little bit and, and talk a little bit about your experience in the game and how you went from, uh, you know, eighth round selection to to player to coach to where you are today.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, I think the majority of us played Little League ball and our aspirations was to be a major league player. Um, it's funny, I'm taking a, some of the comment of, of one of our players that, that said, you know, you dream about getting that big hit in the World Series since you were a kid, and um, he actually did that this year, and I'm talking about Brent Phillips. But, uh, um, it, you know, you dream about playing in the big leagues, um, and as you go up, you have that passion for the game. You, you know, obviously, if God hadn't blessed me with the tools that he did, I might still like the game, but not as much. I found out that I had a niche baseball and, and um, continued it. Went to a one-year junior college at Orange Coast College and, and then got drafted and, and signed. And uh, what a journey. I, I had never caught before. I got drafted as a pitcher, converted into a catcher. Um, and oh boy, there were times when I sat there and I, my father was really fast and, and was a 100-yard dash guy. And I was sitting behind the plate getting foul tips and balls in the dirt off my body and this and that. And there were times I was cussing him saying, man, why didn't I get your speed? But obviously I inherited my mother's speed. God rest her soul. But um, nevertheless, catching was fun. It was tough. The first three or four years, Jack, were tough. I mean, you you got beat up. You just had to learn how to do it and tolerate the pain. But um, it's been a great journey. I've been very blessed. My father was a coach and watching him have the fun that he's had and really just to be honest with you jack the influence that he has had on so many different people that still today ask if he's alive they call me how's your dad doing he was like a mentor to me um yada yada i just i wanted to do that and have that influence on people so even as a young player i knew at some point i would want to coach and um and follow my dad's footsteps and and I'll never forget something he said um after 20 years of coaching in high school he said if all I do is make them a better ball player then I've failed miserably as a coach and that means to me that there are life lessons learned and baseball is the best tool for young people to handle adversity and problem solve because it's it's a sport that'll drive you crazy and especially if you're a hitter 70% failure that's starting to come down now without analytics, (laughs) but, um, nevertheless, that's a lot of failing. You got to learn how to handle that to see what my dad did and how he touched people and to be able to do it here on on a different venue. My ideal goal was to be a a division one head coach. Just didn't work out. Um, I ended up going the pro route. Um, But I felt if I had been in college, I'd get guys for at least three years. You know, here they could be with me one year; they go to the next level. Obviously, there is no next level when I was at the big leagues. But now in the Double A, you're helping preparing them to get to Triple A and go on to be a major league hitter, and and that is so much fun. Um, And and again, my father was uh, inspirational in 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 that influence.
0: Baseball is. Such an amazing sport, as you say, when it comes to having to to process and deal with failure. For me, uh, in, in my experience, you know, it's also a game of father and sons. I think that, you know, there's this image of, you know, that every every person has of father and son going out and having a catch and that being like the the platonic really? idea of like fatherhood and, and and being a son. So to me, it's, it's really moving and inspirational to hear the story that you have, uh, a father who was a coach that was able to impart his love of teaching. And helping people become better players and better people onto his son, um, and now that's something that you also want to do, and really a a cool origin story.
1: Appreciate it. I, I, you know, what he he was a really really good influence on me.
0: I do want to go back to something you said about how uh, you know you were at the major league level, and so that obviously is the, is the top of the pyramid. You've also been at rookie ball. You've been uh, at single A Charleston in the past as well. Coached some some college ball as well but double a kind of stands out to me because double a is where the game really changes for a lot of young players. You have single a levels split into four different sub levels, but double a is where the big jump happens. So for you being at that level, is that something that you, you take pride in being at that spot where these guys are suddenly having to adapt to a different style of pitching or a different level of competition?
1: No question. It's a huge challenge. It is extremely gratifying. To help these kids, we, we kind of call it the men's league in the sense of you become a man or you get your resume out and you just go do something else. The point being is you either get it or you don't. This is the level you get it or you don't. And it's the toughest level because you got a lot of major leaguers that have come back down and they're still trying to hang around to get back up to get whatever little time they can. But this is the league where you figure it out or you stay here for a couple of years trying to figure it out because of your talent. And then sooner or later you go home. Uh, unless you figure it out so learning what i learned at the major league level and how the game has changed whether right wrong or indifferent it is reality and being able to teach that to these young kids has been so much fun there's a kid that i had a self-made major leaguer i mean this guy wasn't even drafted and when he got to double a um he was struggling we, we figured some things out This boy actually hit a home run last year to put us in the finals against the Yankees. Now, here's a guy, like I said, a self-made major leaguer. When you have an impact on people like that and that work so hard and to see what that's done and a couple other guys that are up there that were just with me a couple years ago. So to be able to do that, it is so gratifying and so rewarding. Um, so now I know how my dad feels, and I, I've I've had people um, call and 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 or write and say some nice things about me, like they have my dad, and that oh man, dude, that makes it feel good, makes it feel really good.
0: Well, you said you know 20 years with with the Rays organization, so some of the greatest players of all time will play 20 seasons at at the big level or 20 professional seasons overall. So it, it just in in terms of generations of hitters and players, you've probably had two or so maybe three generations of ball players coming through the minor leagues for the Rays and at the big league level for the Rays while you were there. So what does it mean to you to have had the opportunity to impact that many generations of players by carrying on what you've learned for your father as well?
1: It's really cool, but it's also very humbling Mm -hmm. that I'm actually, I'm 61 years old. And just to say that come out of my mouth, to have it roll off my tongue is is painful. Yet to be a positive influence, I, I have to tell you, I work now, for some of my players, that's weird when, when when a couple of your bosses or a couple guys that are higher up or higher up than you are, and, and they're the ones that tell you what to do. that it, it, It's pretty rewarding or pretty weird, but the reward is the fact that they have your respect. They know what you've done. So regardless of what level I'm at, they know what I can do and the positive influence I can have. That makes me feel good, um, and they've treated me very respectfully. So it's, it's, it's been fun, but it is weird. I mean, it is weird.
0: One thing I do want to ask sort of along that vein is, you know, you you played uh, in the minors for a long time. You reached the big league level in places like Omaha and Salt Lake um, all across the country. And then you've had the opportunity to coach as well. So do you think that the the long career you had as a player combined with your long career as a coach really helps people respect you more or understand, or, or I should say, place more value on on the things that you're trying to teach them?
1: I think it gives you street cred, but I think you get street cred and trust off of how you handle your, your recipients or or your students or your players, handling them, showing them you care one showing them that you know what you're talking about, because there's so many gurus out there now that have all these gimmicks and gadgets that this and that, that if you're not sure which Kool-Aid to drink, you could, you could drink the wrong Kool-Aid, but the thing, okay, you look at my resume. I, I have a long time in the game. I'm not a Hall of Famer. Um, I didn't have a Hall of Fame playing career. And usually that brings instant street cred. But it doesn't necessarily mean you can coach. Mm-hmm. You have to earn your players' trust. And then they have to be wanting to come back, come back to you for information. And it's about that feedback to, to gain that relationship of trust. Um, I think the years I had at the major league level really helped with immediate street cred. But then the bottom line is you're not going to fool all these guys. So you better know what you're talking about. And that's what's the toughest part about the way I teach, because I'm, I'm probably in a small percentage, Jack. With the way I do what I do, I'm probably, I don't know anybody else that does what I do and, 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 and harps on what I'm harping on. And, and I, it's more mental than mechanical. So I try to go between years. But my point is there's, there's, a, there's a million ways to skin a cat. If you don't know what you're talking about, you're not going to BS these kids. They know how to get the information. So I try to be as truthful as I can. I don't sugarcoat anything, and I tell them I tell them just flat the truth and what I believe and what I found out. And if they have a problem with, it, I'll show them what I'm talking about. You can't BS these kids. They they can get that information. Like we talked about, they could even go to YouTube, <laughs> and and they can tell whether you're BSing them or not. But I would say I've reached a high percentage of the hitters. And when I put them on this program to see what they've done has been phenomenal. The other thing that's pretty cool about it is once they see this guy have success with it, it becomes a monkey see, monkey do. I want to do that. What's he doing? Okay, next day, now we're doing it. And then you see that influence and see their stats go up in the right way. And that, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's how you gain that trust regardless of how many home runs you hit, regardless of how many years you played in the big leagues, they want to know you care.
0: It's, it's always nice to know that your, your coach or your manager has your back, but it's, it's even better to know that they do care and have a stake in your success. So I think that's a, a great way to approach it. But I do want to sort of drill in on, on that concept of, in quotes, what you do. So is, is there anything you can share with us about like your philosophy on teaching hitting you know I, I'm sure that you know maybe there's there's some stuff you have to keep somewhat you know close to the chest because it is uh and, you know in quotes industrial secrets but what sort of philosophies do you have and and what can you share with uh, some of our listeners about the the science of hitting
1: well I'm more of the science of thinking by the time you get to me Jack uh, by the time you get to me it's double a you've already had success or you're not coming to me so why would I change your swing why would I mess with your swing let's get everything on time to get to a good contact point you've been successful in the past how can we make that more consistent i'll tell you how we can make it more consistent the way you think and how you approach things and so i work through their ears to get in their brain to try to program a strategy prior to getting in the box i want you jack i want you to program your strategy so what you do is your brain tells your eyes what to look for so now the pitch comes I already know what I'm looking for. If it's not there, my eyes tell my body to shut down. Otherwise, you're just reacting. And that's what most people do. They go up and try to cover all pitches. Now they're late on the fastball and in between on the off-speed, but it becomes inconsistent. But if my brain or my eyes and my body react to a strategy, is that not easier to do? Is that not the smarter way to do it? I'll give you three examples. Okay, you didn't come out of your mother's womb, knowing how to brush your teeth, knowing how to wipe your backside, or knowing how to take a shower. I used those three because right now, you could do all three of those blindfolded. Can't hit blindfolded. So now, I'm gonna give you a little information on all three of those tasks. Brushing your teeth. You have nerve damage on one of your teeth. You're gonna brush your teeth with the same mechanics, or based on that information, are you gonna change your mechanics? You're gonna change. You have stitches. That's going to change the way you wash your body based upon that information. So what we do is we take the information of what your strength is based upon what the pitcher has and his tendencies, and we attack that plan. So there's always a strategy to every single pitch. And then I'll, I'll go a step further with you. Each pitch has its own identity and its own approach or philosophy attached to it. Otherwise, you become a reactionary fool. And I can't even tell you how many major leaguers give up at bats by trying to cover things early in the count. And there's only two times when you really have to do it with two strikes and a man on third. Other than that, you're setting in, you're locking in your philosophy, and your eyes are looking for that. And they say, yes, allowing your body to be organized to do damage. I'm not looking to hit the ball. I'm looking to drive the ball. Mm -hmm. So that's a difference. So the way I throw my batting practice, I make sure guys don't swing too far out of the range of what they're looking for. So they tell me what I tell them what they're looking for. Then we go through a section where they don't tell me what they're looking for, but they just look for something. And when I throw it, I can tell when it's a ball that's right down the middle and they didn't swing it. They were looking for something else. The problem with that whole thing with hitters is the mental part. Jack gets up there and he's ready to hit. and He's looking for a breaking ball and the guy throws a fastball right down the middle. How does Jack re- respond to that? Does Jack get all bitter and go, Oh my God, there went my only pitch. Oh my God. Now it's, it affects the next pitch. Instead of just saying, okay, strike one. Whoop-de-doo. I get three. I only need one. And prior to, I have a prior to two strike approach and a two strike approach dependent upon situations. So for me, you're going to battle. And you're not going to have a plan good luck buddy good luck you better have superior hand-eye coordination so this is what i implement during batting practice our guys do certain things during batting practice i'll have them step out you know organize their plan get in the box there's a couple other things take a nice deep breath in through your nose out through your mouth to relax yourself and then you get in that box with the idea of reiterating what you're attacking and then attack the pitch you're trying to hit prior to two strikes other than that, when you have two strikes, you got to cover everything. And I just don't think it's taught in the right way. And and you know what's funny, Jack? I've been in this game 43 years. I knew there was a way to implement it. I just didn't know which way it was. And I talked to so many mental strength guys. How can we do? You know, what can we do? Well, you know what? you got to do it while they're doing the work. That way they can they can organize it together and get it in a sequential order That is going to be beneficial for them. That's where I differ. 99.9% of other hitting coaches go straight to the physicality. And you know what? Everything starts with a thought. Everything starts with a thought. So before you play the game, you're going to have, with me, you're going to have 10 to 15 at-bats before you play the game. So your first at-bat at 7 o'clock is your 16th or 11th at-bat. You should feel pretty comfortable or we're going to have a long night. (laughs) We're going to be a bad, it's going to be a long night coming if you don't feel comfortable after that many at-bats.
0: My big takeaway from that is, is you, you think of yourself as more of a mental coach, obviously. So someone who is helping them prepare for the experience of, of being in that box and having to face off against the, the pitcher. Does that sound yes. right?
1: yes uh, the benefit beyond that is the fact that I actually played the game and I played it at the highest level, and I've coached it at the highest level and Does that make me better than anybody? No, but it just it gives me experience
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I have the experience of the physicality that you're doing, so I combine those two in our practice package so to me, how else do you practice it? You can go meditate and do all you want that doesn't help you swing a bat. You know you better learn how to relax. You better learn how to calm your breathing down. Um, base is loaded. Bottom of the ninth in the World Series. Your butt's going to be a little puckered, and you're going to be out of breath when you step in that box. And how do we control that? You work on it. Mm-hmm. You work on it, and it's not worked on enough frequently. And I, I I saw what I saw at the major league level, and I've been around a long time. And I just I came up with this drill package of a – I'll tell you, it's called a pitch recognition drill, and I make it tougher than what they're going to face in the game. And I know that's that sounds yeah right, but no, I, I get up about thirty feet and I, I I let it eat, and I'm throwing them breaking balls. What they have going for them with me, with my teaching and how I throw, is in fact I'm a former drafted pitcher, so I can spin the ball. I can actually give them pretty good competition, and from thirty feet, I get some pretty good stuff. <laughs> It's challenging, but if I challenge you and I whoop your tail in practice, then the game's easier. Understanding how to handle all that is the tough part, and when you first initiate it, there is a long trial and error and acclimation point, and it's tough, and at some point, you have to build a little bit of confidence in them. You don't want to beat them down to where they're going in the game, you know, dragging their tail. Well, I, I want chest out, chin up. I'm a bad mofo. I, I, I'm ready to go. But that takes a while. It takes a while. But that's where the monkey see, monkey do comes in. You see this old boy and this old boy, and all of a sudden their slugging percentage is going through the roof, and they're hitting doubles and bombs and spitting on the on the tough off-speed pitches. I want to I eat what he's eating. I want to drink what he's drinking. You know, uh, can I do that? You're not here for me. I'm here for you. Is what I tell my hitters, you know, whatever batting practice pitcher is throwing to you. If you take a ball, that's a strike. And he said, Hey, that's a strike. You should have swung at it. Just tell him, Hey man, I'm working on something and I'll tell him, Hey, I don't really care what that guy says. Look, we're here for you. You're not here for us. We're coaches. We're here to coach you up and, and hopefully get you to understand some things a little better. And so for me, I leave the drill package for elementary school and kindergarten down there in rookie ball and low A, and I'll leave it for that. When you get to me, let's get ready for a game. If we got to work on some stuff specifically, then we'll do it. But I'm not into box checking. I'm definitely not into cookie cutting. But I'm not into you to do a routine just because in the past it made you feel good. No, get over that. There are going to be days where we can't even take batting practice, and then you got to play the game. Well, how's your routine for you that day? You didn't do it, so I don't want to hear it. And and you, that takes a while. I had a kid last year that's very, well, we called him Johnny Hole Bucket, meaning he'd swing till that whole bucket was gone. We had a day where we had a show and go where you just show up, you stretch, you play. And he went four for five. So the next day we're getting ready to play or getting ready to hit, and he comes in the cage. And I said, what are you doing? Came down to get some swings. I said, how'd that work for you yesterday? He just starts smiling. I said, get the hell out of here. You don't need it. Right now, you're right on schedule, dude. Don't screw it up. Because sometimes they take so many swings, Shaq, that they're just, they go into a good rhythm and routine and they're squaring balls up. And then they take another 10 more and they start getting fatigued. The swing changes a little bit. Some other things come off. Your timing's affected. Contact points affected. Now all of a sudden they're pissed. So that 10 leads to 20 more, 30 more. As a coach, you got to say, all right, out, out. You've already hit three hard. Let's not swing until you foul one off. Let's go ahead and be smart and leave on a good feeling and i try to get them to just be mentally tough so it's a different style of teaching and and it takes a while cuz it's different
0: and it's it's funny that you described the situation where you have the guy coming in the cage and and getting the Johnny hole bucket 30 40 swings cuz that that was my process as a as a hitter and it remains my process as a hitter in in men's recreational league and i, <laughs> I think you know i got i got my friend saying you're taking too many swings i'm like no i got to you know, you want that dopamine of, of scoring the ball up in the cage so you can go put it out into the game. But it does make sense that that would be o- overdoing it. And that if you've prepared mentally, you know, through scouting through planning, and then being prepared to to execute, it does seem like you wouldn't need to take that many swings. Because, you know, if you know that you can hit the fastball away and drive that pitch, and you go out and you look for that pitch, and then you execute on that pitch, that seems like a much more efficient way of hitting than just taking as many swings as you can to try to hit every single possible
1: pitch. Well, I, I think the other addition to that is it's fun. Hitting's fun. It's not like you're a catcher and we're going over there. You don't see catchers going over there and taking four or five buckets of balls in the dirt. You do if, if their coach is demanding they do it. Nobody just wants to do it because that's hard work or 900 ground balls, but you'll take mm-hmm. 900 swings because that's fun. You know, hitting's fun. But it could be detrimental. And, you know, everybody wants the perfect swing. You can have the perfect swing if your timing's off. What good does a perfect swing do? If your contact point's off, your eyes tell you everything. And so my goal in the cage is to get them to, to do good visuals, to enhance their vision on what they're going to face at 7 o'clock. I don't think we do that enough. And, and that's what I've come up with. I don't think we do enough of the mental stuff. And practicing it in between pitches, which is something my boys do as well. I have a one through seven scale on the plate. One's inside, always inside, left or right handed. It's inside. Seven's outside corner. These are corners. Two and six are a ball on the plate. Three and four, are a couple balls on the. Or three and five, or a couple balls on the plate. Four is Broadway. Okay, so now I'm telling Jack. All right, we're going to start off six seven. I don't want you swinging at a five. I don't want you swinging at a four. If it's not a six, seven, don't swing. Then we'll go five, six, seven, or five, six. Then we'll go three, four, five. So there's only a one ball difference. But if I just say look away or look in, I'm leaving you more margin for error. I don't want more margin for error. I want less margin for error when i'm hitting because the problem is i swing at a five when i'm looking two three four i swing at a five i'm going to cap it or i'm going to miss hit it most likely i'm expanding my zone which makes me an easier out so during my routine when we're getting on the fastball i'm throwing hard and we're going around and then sometimes i'll just call random numbers two six Five, and I don't want you swinging at anything else but that. They're getting what they would be getting at 7 o'clock, and the fact that I'm in a closer distance makes it more challenging. And, man, Jack, the guys that have done this, their their slugging percentage has gone anywhere from 50 to 250 points, which is off the charts. I've had some guys, 450 is really good. I've had a couple guys hit in the 700s. For that month. That's like hitting nine to 12 home runs with about 10 doubles. It means every time you hit that ball, you're going to second, at least. I love that.
0: <laughs> it's definitely a dream, I would say. Uh, anyway, we'll take a quick break and be back with more with Coach Nelson uh, here on the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast. Hey listeners, sportsforceonline.com is your one-stop recruiting resource. Sportsforce helps students and their families find the college that's the best all-around fit for them. Our expert recruiting advisors craft a personalized and comprehensive academic, athletic, and financial recruiting game plan to help you make your best and most informed college decision. It's sportsforceonline.com. Sportsforce, your personal recruiting advisors. Okay, let's get back to the show. Something that, that I think is interesting is this idea that in, in baseball, you know, there's all these changes to the way that it's coached, changes to the way that it's it's looked at, the way that we understand stats. Like a lot of people think about like the analytics revolution or the, the swing plane revolution and they just sort of, it's a black box to them. They know that it exists, but they don't know the specifics of it. And to hear you speak about hitting and, you know, you're kind of in a way, I think maybe for some of our listeners, you're sort of pulling the curtain up a little bit and so they can see you know, how, how the sausage of this change in the way that the game is, is coached and played and how that sausage is made. And so it's interesting to to hear both the the specifics of of the things that you're doing, but also the passion specifically that you have for this process. And it, I think it's very exciting and extremely interesting to, to hear.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And I hope that that's what makes the recipient usually one of my hitters more encouraged about hearing it, you know, um, First of all, what I'm telling you, you can't dispute it. There's other ways of doing stuff. You could do the launch angle, backsides, this and that, whatever all these other gadgets and gimmicks are. That's the physicality. You have a brain. Why would you go to battle without strategy? And a lot of them they will say, well, no, no, I, I know what I'm, I'm looking for, a fastball. Where? That's, that's not good enough. You're not covering 97 at sav- on, on the seven ball and covering it on the one ball. You're not doing it. So don't just tell me fastball. Give yourself a chance and allow your body to organize itself to do damage. At least think outside third or at least think this or that. But I try to take it to a different level with the one through seven, and I minimize their margin for error. So now we're not expanding our zone, whether it's up or down. It's, it's so hard to do. This is so hard to do. Excuse me. And when I say this, I'm talking about hitting. So imagine the coaching part and there are other ways of doing it. I just think if you're not an idiot and anybody I ask is going to say no, then I will say, then why don't you use your brain? You're going to count on muscle memory more than you're going to count on your brain. Not only that, the muscle memory might have to be changed a little bit based upon the pitch and the velocity of the pitch why you wouldn't use that information we have so much data on these guys now we know what they ate the night before we know what time they went to bed um yada 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 and i like to play in probabilities i do love our our analytics i think it gets blown out of proportion both ways it's not the end all be all yet it's very valuable um I think it's very valuable. And, and the way I break hitters down is a little different, but it, it's all based upon what is Jack thinking. How can I get Jack to think differently in order to help him organize his body to do damage because he can hit. I, I'm just telling you, I, just, I, don't, I don't like the way he's thinking. Or, you know, yada, yada, yada. And doesn't Jack, John, Paul, George, whomever it is. And then there's other guys that you – I had three guys this year that information would be overloading. So what I did with them is I took a fungo and a couple fungos, and I just tried to build their bat speed up a little bit, and then I threw them just a heavy dose of all kinds of stuff. And their pitch recognition got better, and they went from 200 to 230, and their slugging percentage went up. But I had that was a tougher route because it took me a while to figure out. There's just certain people that don't know how to process information while they're playing, yet they have exceptional skills. Those guys are the rarities. Um, And I'll tell you, one guy that did it is uh, Rosarina this year. You can't tell me he was planning on swinging at those pitches he swung at. And he swung it. So I mean, I, I'm not so sure that'll ever happen again with anybody. Mm-hmm. That was just off the charts. And when I saw some of the pitches he swung at prior to two strikes, I don't really know what he was thinking. And I think he just had one of those in-the-zone moments where it's see ball, hit ball, and I mean, man, everything mm-hmm. was right on schedule. That doesn't happen very often, not in this game not in this game, you know, you have to know your student and you have to know what's good for your student and, uh, or your player, and you have to be able to discern how you're going to attack him. But heck, with some of these guys, it takes you till the latter part of May, early part of June before you find out he's just not understanding what, what I'm saying, we, mm-hmm. we got to go a different route. And so you, that's our job as a coach is to figure out what, what can I do to make you react better and get you to think in a more appropriate way in a sequential order of a process that allows you to stay focused on the process instead of your result and change how they feel result what's the result what is the result you want and most of these knuckleheads will tell you base hit no you can't you can't control that the result should be a good pitch to hit and hitting it solidly that's all you can control but yet we get greedy what this world has taught me in my 61 years on this planet is greed is a form of ignorance and is a killer no matter what facet of life it's in. I mean it's you're gonna get in trouble at some point. So I try to get these guys to understand, stay focused on your process and and keep your head on contact and hit the ball hard. That's it. Redirect it hard. Otherwise you can't control it. We're worried about some guys are worried about their angle. Was the angle this? Was it that, that? Dude, how'd that feel coming off the bat? Good. Yeah. Well, then shut up. Shut up. Let's do that again. Let's get bored with that instead of trying to figure out all these numbers. But you know what? Jack, you can't hide it from them. <laughs> they can go to 19 different websites and get all that stuff. So my philosophy is a little contrarian to the new style, but I don't look at it that way. I look at it as just a different way to do it. And if I can do it better by thinking, Smarter, I want to do it.
0: I mean it's interesting you said that you you feel it's contrarian because to me it it feels like it it fits really well. You know, especially in an organization like the Rays where they're you know they're forward thinking, they like to use analytics, you know, they've pioneered some changes to the game recently. When you were speaking about the way that you like to teach hitting and, and teach the mental approach, it it I broke it down in my notes here as being scouting, planning, and then execution, right? And so if you take the analytics portion of it and you go, okay, the pitcher out there, his best pitch is going to be the slider down in the zone. Your swing is going to be better suited to hitting a fastball that's up. How do you plan a way to spit on the slider and get that fastball up? And then how do you execute it? So to me, it it feels like it fits logically, especially in the progression of how you go, um, you know, from just trying to protect every pitch to finding or to, I should rephrase it, to hunting those pitches that you can do damage with.
1: I couldn't agree with what you're saying more, but when I say contrarian, 99% of the coaches are going to say, well, look at your hands, look at your feet, you you know, a little bit this, I don't touch that stuff. What I would say is, okay, Jack, we're going to start off at 50%. Okay. I want you to just see how easy you can hit a line drive Mm -hmm. How easy, just nice and easy straight to the ball. I want you under control. Okay, the bad thing is with all these gimmicks and gadgets, we're trying to increase all that behavior, okay, which gets you out of control. This is where I'm contrarian. I think less is more. Less effort is more control of the barrel. If I have more control of the barrel, I'm going to barrel up more balls. And the ball that they use in the big leagues, it's a Pro B1. All you got to do is touch it. Triple A, all you got to do is touch it. The people that struggle are from double A down. They got to really hit it. But we're teaching people how to throw, how hard to swing, how fast to swing. And now we're going with different angles and stuff, depending on this launch angle stuff. It's just differently worded. Everybody in the past wanted to hit the ball out front and see that trajectory. But when you start talking about launch angle and stuff, depending upon who is talking about it, we start dipping that backside. Now my swing becomes longer and I become easier to pitch to. So sometimes it's just misconstrued, and the guys don't really know how to go about attacking it. But all that stuff, we, we like that. I, I want a well-driven ball. I want backspin. And so I'll even go to a point to where I'll say, okay, Jack, as this ball is coming into your face, the inside part is a one, the middle's a two, and the outside part's a three. So what I'll tell them is, look, ideally I want you to hit that one. Now, we're talking on the ball, so but it's nice to go between the 1 and the 2, which is a 12. So I'll tell you, hey, make sure you punch the 12. That means top hand's a little bit more aggressive, and I'm trying to attack the inside part of the ball to give me backspin and carry. And if I catch it right out front, then I'm going to get the trajectory I want. But as mechanical as I'll get as far as changing your mechanics – the one thing I'll say is I want that top hand to to accelerate more, or to be a little bit more proactive. Or I'll tell you, dude, slow it down, back it off five percent. Let's get back under control. And all of a sudden, bam, bam, bam. And then I'll look at him and go, Why would you want to do it any better than that? Because we're all idiots. That's why mm-hmm. we went. We, the front row home run's not good. I, I need the back seat. You know, uh, judge knocking a TV out of the bar that's mm-hmm. forty five rows up and stuff. No it all counts the same i could skim the top of the wall and it goes over it's just a home run but they want they want it to go as far as it could go well again greed is a killer so keeping them under control is a tough gig and when they're reading the noise outside of all these gadgets and stuff they want to continue to build bat speed they want to continue to build exit velocity It's tough for me because that's a little bit opposed to what I'm trying to get them to do. I'm trying to get them to stay under control. Dude, your swing's good or you wouldn't be here. All right, let's keep it under control and consistent. And they just worry about their bat velocity. Can I get from 72 to 78? Can I get, you know, boom, 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 exit velocity? Can I get a, and then we got these TVs and you got TVs now where as soon as you hit a ball, it says 108. Well, now Jack hits 108. What does Jamie want to do? I'm going 110. Well, that means I'm swinging harder, swinging out of my fanny. Well, that changes your, your path. It affects your, con- your contact point. And if you're just doing it for a little fun and, you know, giggles, all right, I'm all right with that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, we're teaching people how to get out of control instead of being under control. But I just look at the equipment that's being used. Another grown man throwing a hundo. I don't need to swing that hard to get to it. Not on that. The harder I swing, the less likely I am. This is an accuracy and precision sport. When you throw a dart to a dartboard, do you throw it hard? No. Why? You want to be accurate. Okay, now obviously in baseball, there's a little bit more speed that has to be involved. But if I can maintain accuracy with his velocity of throwing it to hundo, and I can just get my bat to the ball, I'm telling you, it's going to come off that bat pretty, pretty doggone fast. So I think sometimes we're looking for those upper echelon numbers when we don't need them. We don't need them. And, and I I think it actually gets you more out of control than it helps you stay in control. And it makes the gig harder.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I want to go back just, just a moment. You mentioned when you were talking about, you know, guys who are swinging as hard as they can so they can hit the ball as far as they can. One of the sort of icons of of doing that, I, I think you said it was, was Aaron judge and, uh, I actually had the opportunity to to see him day in and day out in in 2017. I was a, a, a communications associate with the New York Yankees. So that was his rookie year. He was hitting crazy home runs and, you know, he'd hit balls like 125 miles an hour. Right. But if you watched his swing and it did look like he was swinging hard, but that was a product of him being, you know, six foot seven, 280 pounds. And so if you just watch his swing, it's really simple he maximizes his potential by just putting the barrel to the ball. And so I I think what you're saying about guys overswinging is pretty warranted. I mean, if, if they want to be like Aaron judge, they probably should cut it back a little bit and just try to put barrel to ball and execute their game plan.
1: Well, and you're never going to be like Aaron judge in the sense of six, seven, six, nine, whatever, but you might get his numbers. So you might hit 35, 40 bombs. They might not be as far as his who cares. It's kind of like what I do with the strike zone. When I'm trying to teach you the strike zone and we're hunting pitches and you're going to sit curveball and a guy throws a fastball in a four-spot belt high that you know you could have knocked in the next week. At least you thought you could have. It's a strike, dude. Whoopty. It's a strike. You got outgassed. Who cares? So it's the way you think. It's the way you think I got to swing harder to hit it as far as judge. Well, let me just tell you something. You're not going to hit it as far as judge. So let's calm down and be the best you can be. And maybe you can put up the same kind of numbers. His are just going to go 10 rows deeper than yours. That's all. Again, how are you thinking about that? You know what I mean? It's all about what you think. Can you accept that strike? Can you accept and get over adversity on the previous pitch? Can you get back into that green light zone? Well, to be honest with you, as a hitting coach in 01 or 2001-2, two, manager three, four, five, six, seven, catching coordinator eight, nine, 10, 11, back to catching guy, hitting guy, twelve to seventeen in the big leagues, to back to hitting. So I had gotten away from hitting, but uh, it was always about whenever guys would say, "What do you see?" I see you swinging at bad pitches. That's what I see. It's not your swing. You shouldn't even be swinging at that pitch. And I have a checkpoint system to where I I have these guys. Did you have your strategy? That's number one when you ask yourself, did you start sooner and slow? Did you attack your discipline or did you go outside of your discipline? That's number three, and that's the toughest one because that's where we screw up the most. And then number four is did you keep your head on the ball? Number five is did I square up the ball? That's a checkpoint system after each at bat. So that's not something I have to go write a bunch of stuff down. I could just go on my checkpoints and say, okay, you know what? I could do it per pitch i say, oh, you know what? I shouldn't have swung that. And where does that get cleaned up? Batting practice. We don't take traditional BP. My teams don't take traditional BP. And to be honest with you, the last two years, we hit on the field maybe 30% of the time. The rest of the time, we're in the cage. I don't want guys shooting for the 15th row. It's counterproductive. If I get somebody like yourself that is knocking it, just doing great work, in the cage, and then we go out onto the field and you're trying to play Jimmy Jack and you're getting deep back here and we're trying to hit balls as far as we can, that's counterproductive. Because I think each time you do something, you're putting in good muscle memory or bad muscle memory. And again, I don't want you to count on it all, but I don't want it to be inconsistent to where we're doing one on this pitch and one like this on this, you know, I want it to be close to consistent, but the timing of it in the pitch selections where that helped. All these little things factor in to you getting to a desired contact point and squaring up the ball. And as vanilla as that sounds, if you get any more complicated than that, you're making the job more complex. I'm trying to simplify it for you, but you do have to think. This is not just a C ball hit ball, and I get that. I get that. But we're going to think and then we're going to reiterate, and then we're going to execute. Why would you want to play mindlessly? And you know what, to be honest with you, Jack, that goes all the way around. Whether you're on defense, whether you're base running, or whether you're hitting, you have a plan of the situation and where you need to be if a ball is hit here, here, or there. Over the last 10, 15 years, at all different levels, I just see a lot of mindless baseball. And it's because all we work on, Jack, is how far can I hit it? How hard can I throw it? How fast can I run? If you want a mannequin, that's great. If you want a robot, that's great. I don't want a robot. I want somebody who can think correctly and stay focused on their process and discipline. Mm-hmm. That That's going to be a good player. Might not have as much skills as the robot, but we're going to outsmart that robot. It's just different. It's just, I. I, I it's different. And like I said, the only way I think that I'm a little contrarian is most people are going to the physicality and the mechanics. And you know what? I was never taught this. I learned this. So I was taught at one time to take first pitch of the game. Blah, blah, blah. We didn't have the gun up there to tell how fast they were throwing. We didn't have any of that stuff. So... We got on the side and we just, the guy would pitch the ball and you'd move your body to him and kind of dance and get your rhythm going based upon him. And first time I was talked into, just take the first pitch. It's going to show you release point, velocity, and movement. Those are three pertinent pieces of information to get to a good contact point. I said, all right. i had been taught all my life, dead red fastball and you don't let strikes, You or as one guy would say, you don't let gas pass. (laughs) So the first time I did it, you know where that pitch was bell high four ball. And I just sat there and I backed up and I went, I don't like this, but I adapted it and Mm -hmm. I used it a lot. Um, The only time I would change it is if there's a man at third and that first pitch of my at bat, I needed to get a pitch up in the zone to hit a fly ball to score the run. But with what I teach, you could work on your at bat. If you're the ninth hitter, stand there and watch what he's throwing and just move your body as if you were up there hitting. Because timing to get to the contact point is the key. Contact point's the key, and not on your body, on the ball. I could be in the greatest position body-wise with a good contact point, depending upon where you're at. And my bat's right here, and the ball's right here. I'm hitting it straight into the ground. Or it's right here. I'm popping it up. So the contact point on the ball is the most important part. Mm -hmm. You could be off balance and still hammer or drive a ball if you hit it right, right spot on the ball. And so there's where your eyes come in again. It's, it's about vision for me. Um, the, if I focus on hitting that inside half of the ball, what am I doing? I'm increasing my concentration, focus. That's huge because it's not easy. BP's not easy, much less uh, the game. And these guys are trying to get you out with every little pitch they throw. So a lot of times I, I want you to worry about you rather worrying about what he has. So that's why I'll say, "Hey, Jack, this guy's got this kind of movement. Don't worry so much about him. Let's let's jump on a four, five, six here. Try to go right center or left center if you're left-handed. Stuff like that."
0: Yeah, I, I've listened to some other podcasts you've done. I saw one where you spoke to to Brandon Geyer about um, you know sort of the science of hitting, and one of the things that jumped out a lot was the contact point that you were talking about. And so that was going to be my next question. And so you know when you say contact point you're referring to that spot on the ball and not where you yeah. are in your swing and then when you say inside of the ball you're basically saying if the pitch is on the outside half of the plate from you is the inside of the ball is the side that's facing you or is it still the one okay
1: the ball like ah. for a ball? no i know i have one i see it hold on one second <laughs> all right this is a souvenir ball so i can't take the wrapper off <laughs> But the ball's coming in at you like this. Mm-hmm. And you're a right-handed hitter over here. This is one. That's the inside part of the ball. If you're a right. left-handed hitter, this is the one side or the one side and the inside mm-hmm. part of the ball. The middle's the two. The outside's the three if you're on this side, and the outside's the three if you're a right-handed hitter. OK So uh, if that ball's coming in at you, I'm focusing on hammering the one, one two or the 12. So even if it's outside, I still want to hit the 12 because when you hit the 12, like, like okay, so here here's the ball right here and it's coming in this way. When I hit that 12, I have a better chance for that backspin in its redirection. Backspin gives me exit velocity and carry. Those are two desirable things. But I could be on one foot and I get that bat out and I still hit that contact point. It's going. The farthest ball I ever hit in my life, was on one foot I was fooled and I was out front but I hit I had all my energy going through the ball and the bat hit the ball in the perfect spot and it went a long way that taught me that the contact point on the ball was more important you could be at a desirable contact point in your body and you're hitting that here all right that means I'm hitting it straight down or I'm fouling it off the catcher or I could hit it here so what I'm saying is we, we dream of that perfect contact point on the ball and on our body. That's where you get the judge hitting the TV up there in left center field. Or how often is that happening? That's what you strive for, Jack. How often does it happen? Four times a year? So that's why I try to get them off all that. No, just focus on that ball, man. Focus on that ball. Focus on hammering the 12. And regardless of what position your body's in, the ball's going to go. Um, and has a better chance to go than to being in a perfect balanced position and hitting the top or the bottom of the ball does that make sense
0: it makes complete sense and uh you know the, podcasts are a digital medium or a, a, an audio medium so it's good to have it broken down in that way so you know if you're hitting the inside of the ball that hammering that 12 and getting that backspin you know that definitely does seem like a a, a good way to approach it um the other other uh term that i i've heard you use frequently um, is organizing the body to do damage. So could you explain that a little bit as well?
1: Well, uh, again, we're talking about in a perfect world. Your body is stacked where the chin's above the belly button and you're in a good athletic, strong foundation. Okay. Your legs are probably just a little bit beyond shoulder width or, or you know, a foot, foot and a half beyond shoulder width. And your chin is directly of your, above your belly button, giving you a strong balanced position of your body the strongest that you could be once the head goes forward and goes outside of the body or it leaves the belly button you start losing your balance okay just like i did on that pitch but i stayed focused on the ball so much that i just kept going and so consequently when i hit this ball i was actually trying to drive it back up the middle because it was low and down the middle it was it was a ball but it was low and 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 on the four but I caught it out front and I hit the, the 12 and, and it just it just went. but my body wasn't as stacked or desirable as you would like to be. Sometimes your pitch recognition will throw that body off, okay? So if you're a reactionary hitter and you're, you're looking for a fastball, fastball away, and he throws a breaking ball, but he throws a real slow breaking ball and you're just reacting to it. Are you going to stay stacked? Are you going to be able to allow your body to organize itself to do damage? Possibly, possibly, but I have a much better chance if I'm looking for that pitch because my brain has told my eyes what to look for. And sometimes our body doesn't shut down. That's why in my BP routine, if I tell you five six, I don't want you to swing at a 4'. When are you ever told by a coach that you don't want to swing at a ball that's directly down the middle of the plate? Well, it's for the drill only, and it teaches your eyes to tell your body yes or no. You have one decision in hitting, and that's no. you got to make it. Otherwise, you swing at a lot of other pitches that you shouldn't be swinging at. But I want to be so aggressive with intent to do damage that I'm saying to myself, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, and I'm either yes or the only decision is no. Otherwise, I'm, I'm, I'm banging it that's where that information I feel the information that you've given your eyes to look for allows it to shut your body down soon or to organize it to do the damage.
0: Does that does that make sense? It makes complete sense. I mean obviously anytime, you know, you're in the box and and you do want to do damage, there's that instinct to try to swing at a pitch that you can't do damage with. So, it seems to me that if you're able to organize yourself in that spot and then trust your your mental ability, your your preparation, your focus, it does allow you to be I guess more efficient in in the swings you take.
1: Yes, it allows you to get your A swing off more. You can't have an A swing on every pitch. nobody does, or or numbers would be higher, but yeah, it, that that information in your eyes allows your body to move where you want it to move. I, I was thinking about it when you were saying it, and I'm like, okay, if I was coming to a red light, okay, and it was on yellow, I know it's going to go to red, right? It didn't go it didn't go to green. But if it did, how equipped would I be when that thing did turn red or when it turned green? Mm -hmm. I'd be trying to cover them both. I'm going to be a little off to each contact point on the pedal. But because I know it's going to red, I am starting to organize my body to stop the car. You know what I mean? Same scenario. You see the green light on the other side. You see it go to yellow. You know it's going to red. So yours is going to green. You're ready to punch the accelerator. But if you don't know which way it's going, you got to be ready to touch both of them. It makes it harder. I came up with that analogy five seconds ago, (laughs) but it makes sense to me.
0: That makes complete sense. I mean, it's about eliminating a a potential, not outcome, but a a potential scenario that you don't necessarily want to do, right? So if you're looking for a fastball out and the guy throws a slow curveball in, like you shouldn't swing at the slow curveball in because that's not the pitch you're looking for. So, you know, if you have two pitches that are 15 mile an hour difference, it doesn't seem like you can do damage with, the one that you're not looking for.
1: You're looking fastball and homeboy hangs a breaking ball. You come back in the dugout. I just missed that two at bats later. Oh, uh, Same thing. Just missed it. Well, you're just missing a lot more than you're hitting. Okay. And that is hard. Even if you know that it's coming, it, it is hard. But my point is I've got a better chance. If I know it's coming than I do, if I'm just reacting to it. So I look at these guys, well, you know, they, they try to cover everything. Well, how often are you being successful in those counts with the other that you weren't really looking for? So I'm looking fastball, but if it's a hanging, breaking ball, I'm swinging at it. Okay, how often are you coming back to the dugout after jogging around the bases or after coming back after just popping it up and saying mm-hmm. I should I have? Well, I, I, I can tell you that there ain't a whole lot of jogging around the bases. And every now and then that you get one, It makes you want to do it more to where when I assure you, if you sit on pitches and learn how to do that, that you have the ability to get to that contact point a lot more consistently than you do trying to cover them both. I assure you, but you watch these major league hitters, and it's something that we've taught our kids for a long, long time. You can do anything you want to do, not in hitting. So it's kind of hard to back that discipline down. I get it. You pat him on the butt and you're trying to give him encouragement. I get all that. But I want my kid to be realistic. So I got to tell him the pros and cons, what upside, downside, okay, and then let them figure it out. But to tell a kid you can hit everything, you can't hit everything. Nobody can. Nobody can. Even Babe Ruth couldn't. You know, even the best hitter I've ever seen, Barry Bonds, he couldn't. He's the closest I've seen that can, (laughs) but he couldn't. I mean – the, the, the numbers speak for themselves, even your best years, you're failing seventy percent of the time. And now that's going down. Actually, it's going up. So it's going closer to seventy five percent of the time. So, I mean it,
0: it comes down to an arms race, doesn't it? You know as as the pitchers start to apply their version of your philosophy here where they're preparing better and they know how to execute better, the hitters have to find a way to respond. You know, maybe at a certain point that batting average will start ticking up as, as players are better able to prepare for those things that the pitchers are now doing.
1: It's going to have to trend back to some old stuff if it's going to get better. And that's exactly what happened. It's a cat and mouse, checkers, chess game. You're pitching to me. You throw it wherever you want to. If I don't swing at it, you don't have to make an adjustment. Well, all these pitchers got taught to pitch down in the zone. Well, what did the hitters do? Oh, you want to do that? I'm going to start uppercutting like a mule. And I'm going to try to hit that ball down in zone. I'm going to lift it. Well, what did the pitchers do? They said, okay, I'm going to start throwing belt higher and higher, and you're going to strike out a lot, and you're going to miss a lot of pitches. That's where we're at. And that has to be worked on, and it's just not worked on enough. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Enough. That's why I came up with this little drill package, and it it includes two-strike approach, men on third infield end, um, and then just regular at-bats for you on what you want to do while you're putting your plan, getting your deep breath in, focusing on starting sooner and slower and attacking the pitch you want to attack. I'm good. I just wish more guys could do it and understand the importance of it. They say, "Well, I feel like I'm rushed." Well, that's your you problem. Why don't you start sooner and slower? Let's make 195. Let's make 9590. Let's make 9085. There's a way to do that. It's by starting sooner and slower see with me throwing it and you having a regular bat you have no idea what I'm throwing I'll throw you knuckleballs splitters sliders curveballs i i I change speed on my curveballs I do whatever I can to see how you're gonna counter it and you know what it it's um it's been a great progression and I've morphed it into to something that I really really like and and um I could show you some of the feedback I've gotten from some of these players that uh really makes me feel good that they said that going into their first at bat at, during the game, they feel like they've already conquered and they know they're going to hit a ball hard because of the prep work that they did. And that, that's all this is, is prep work. How mm-hmm. are we prepping our, our, our men to battle? For me, the normal traditional BP where you got some older guy just throwing from 45, 50 feet, 50 miles an hour, what does that do? What does that do, really? Nothing. Um, for me, it helps your outfield. And maybe your infield getting balls off the bat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You want to work on base runner It helps that. Does your hit or nothing? With the velocities in, in, in the off speed that we face today, it does your hit or nothing. No, 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 nobody you face is going to throw 50 miles an hour right down the middle. So there's no challenge. If you're using it to get loose, okay, we can do that in a cage for 15 minutes or five minutes. And if the first breaking ball that you see and I say Jack, oh, and, and one one is their biggest off speed count. If the first breaking ball you see is at seven o'clock during the game how well am I preparing you for the game? I'm, I'm asking you to do something we didn't even work on. So the more am might call, I'm 61, so I should be old school. I'm like some of this old school stuff has to go. There are other ways of doing it, and there are better ways of doing it. I don't teach catching the way I taught or I was taught. There's a lot. The only thing I'm old school with is effort. Um, that, that's really the only thing. Give me some effort. Be a good teammate. Be on time. I'm old school about that. Discipline, I'm old school about that. But as far as the new data, analytics, all this stuff, bring it. The gimmicks and gadgets, I'm still a little – I'm learning. Mm -hmm. I'm learning. I love the Rapsodo, and there's a couple other things that I use, but I'm in. I'm in on some of that stuff. I I really like what they've come up with, and the people that we have in our organization are really, in my opinion, second to none. And um, it took me a while to buy into it. But now that I'm really doing what I'm doing, I see the importance of all that information. But a human being's still playing the game. We can't take that human element out. So I don't know what you drank the night before. I don't know what you've eaten the night before. Or there's a whole lot of things going on in your mind. I don't know where you're at. So you can't take those kinds of thoughts out. But what I can do is when you get to the park, I can work on your mental part. Through these drills and get your mind off of that other stuff. Rather than just throwing simplistic BS EP. We're gonna work. So you've got to get your mind right to be able to work. So it'll take your mind off. Now, if you're hung over, that's a little different story. If you're hung over, what I will work with you on is I'll say, Okay, we're gonna sit off speed all day because a good fastball is gonna beat you. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that is my approach. So <laughs> Well, on, uh, on that note, let's take a quick break and be back with more with Coach Nelson on the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast in just a moment. Hey, you're listening to the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast, powered by 5Tool Baseball. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you'd follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the handle at Sports Force BB, or if you'd like us on Facebook by searching for Sports Force Baseball. Feel free to reach out on any of those platforms with any questions, recommendations, or suggestions for potential guests. We'd love to hear from you. Also, check out our website at sportsforceonline.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, well, Coach, we've been uh talking for a while now, we've covered a lot of uh really great stuff. Um, but uh, I I do think we're gonna start running out of time here. But I got uh, maybe one or two more questions that I I wanted to ask you. Are you okay to stick around for just uh, maybe 10 more minutes?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is good stuff for me. It's like I'm out in the field again.
0: I'm glad. Um, so I guess the, the next question that I do wanna ask you is, it goes back to something that you said, in one of the first answers you gave was, the idea that there's lots of, uh, there's gimmicks out there. There's lots of um, coaches who are trying to teach things to to younger players, I think in particular, who maybe they don't necessarily know what they're saying or they're, they're teaching something that might be in a way detrimental to the long-term health of that player's game. So I guess what I wanna ask is, how can young players and and parents get through that noise, you know, weed out those gimmicks. And how can they find a a hitting coach or even a, you know, a baseball coach that can help them build successful platform to be in, in baseball for, you know, extended period of time, whether that's at the high school level, the college level, or even getting into, into pros maybe.
1: I, for me, I would parallel that with anything else, Mm -hmm. buying a car, you gotta do your research got to do your research. Now, if you don't have enough information on this guy, I would Google him. I would try to see what he, his background is and listen to what his principles are, what his core principles are. Hopefully, it's you've been referred to this guy, I'm assuming. Um, if not, then you got to do your diligence with research and, and just make sure you know enough about this guy because he's going to be spending time with your your son or daughter, and you got to be able to trust him for one, trust him just with them, but two, you've got to trust what they're saying is, is going to benefit your child. Um, and that's not easy. There's a lot of people out there that are really good. Um, the bad thing is I've seen some stuff on, uh, I don't do Twitter, but I've seen some stuff that was on Twitter that someone said, look at this and these guys are self-proclaimed gurus and they're doing stuff. I'm still employed. Let me tell you this, if I was self-employed, I wouldn't have to worry about getting fired. I would bury a few people on this, like parents, really? This guy's a clown. He's an absolute clown. You should, don't don't take your child to this. And, and there, what's sad is some people are drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, you just got to make sure that Kool-Aid's going to be good for your child. Other than that, if you really want what's good for your child, you need to do your research and, and find out more about this guy and hopefully you have referrals and some people that have had some good success with him or her and they know how to work with kids but i, I would say just like anything else you're buying or, or, or going to invest into you, you got to do your research hope you get a good one i Makes wish sense. there was a shorter better answer to it but it's just really that's the key you you got to. You can't buy the gimmicks. You got, you got to believe in them. You got to believe into, into what you're hearing from other people. And, and, you know, word of mouth before the commercials, to heck with the commercial get the word of mouth from people you trust. And then you'll feel good about it. Even if it doesn't work out.
0: It makes complete sense. I mean, obviously you want to find someone who has a good reputation. Um, and yeah. I guess my next, my next question is, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, mental preparation and, and you mentioned that uh in in a way especially at your level double a it becomes less about mechanics and more about the approach because the guys who get to double a are the guys who can they can hit the baseball pretty good like they're going to be able to square the ball up and hit it 400 feet you know it's it's not guys like me who can't do that who are there so you know when it comes down to to getting guys who need more help with the mechanics do you have any drills that you would recommend that young players look into or or, or try to incorporate into their practice routines.
1: Oh, I think the T works good. T work because the ball's not moving; it shows you where you can make contact in the zone. The T is always a good one. The, the front toss um, at my level, I'm not, I'm not real big in the underhand toss, um, and I'm not real big on slow. But I'm at a different level than everybody else. So, so if I were referring something to the kids, I do. The more moving of the ball you can get, for me, the better, because the ball is not on a tee during the game. Um, But the tee educates you on where and how deep in the zone or how far out in front of the zone you have to hit the ball to get a good contact, good result. Get your backspin. Not only that, it makes you focus on the baseball. But uh, I think front toss is a good one. But those are the two for me. I, I mean, there's so many different ones. That could be tailored to the individual, but I'd say the t and some front toss are, are two good ways to start with.
0: Those are definitely two of the uh "in quotes" more classic drills that that players can do. And I do think that when you start to get away from it and into more of the I don't want to say gimmicky, but the the less common stuff, I do think you can start getting lost in the you know what am I trying to to learn in this drill when it should just be how can I drive the baseball and how can I execute my swing. So. I do like your answer, Coach. It's a good answer.
1: Well, I, and if you want to take it a step further, pay attention to where the ball's at when it's on the tee. Have the one through seven deal out front. And then when you're doing your front toss, you can actually tell the kid, look, only swing at four, five, six. Mm-hmm. So at a young, early age, you're teaching him to under, or her to understand the strike zone. Because that's huge. I mean, getting to that desired contact point that we're talking about I have to know the strike zone and what I'm capable of doing. And you ask most kids, and they want to pitch inside. Well, 80-some percent, if not higher, is directed for outside. So getting them to understand the strike zone, in my opinion, instead of just swinging to swing, depending upon their age. I mean, when they're real young, they're trying to work on their swing and get some kind of consistency. But at some point, you have to discern when they're ready for this next step of learning the strike zone and that could be in soft toss just so they're getting their eyes because talking about it it sounds great but then you stand in the box and you get a, a real good grasp of what i'm talking about i don't want you hitting the four i want you hitting the six seven or or the two three we never work on a one mm-hmm. never work on a one that's a reaction pitch. Okay, and if you hit the two, I don't want you to hit the two to the pull side. So if I'm right-handed, that two, I want you to hit it to your left field foul pole is in left center field. Your right field foul pole, if you're left-handed, is in right center field. So I'm not using and rotating using too much of my body. I want you to be in a strong position. So there's other things that you could do just on those two drills. It will help educate a young child, which is not overwhelming with velocity or a bunch of movement curveballs and this and that to where he or she is still learning the strike zone and what they can actually hit back. And they'll actually find out that the pitch that's outside is much easier to get extended on than the pitch on the inside. But everybody wants to hit a pull side homer, you know, if it goes over the fence, it goes over the fence. I don't care if it's left, center, or right. Why have one piece of the pie when you can have three.
0: <laughs> Very true. Well, coach, uh, I want to thank you so much for for giving us the the time here and, and for, uh, you know, being so passionate and, and, and thoughtful with your answers. It's, it's really been a pleasure to speak to you.
1: Likewise. I thank you for having me and, and, and taking the time. This has been a wonderful experience for me. I, 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 um, I hope through this podcast that somebody will benefit from it. And I, I had a good time. You, you made my day.
0: At the very least, I think that my at bats and my men's league will, will benefit <laughs> at least a little bit. So.
1: There you go. Well, send me some video.
0: <laughs> do my best. <laughs> Well, this has been uh, Coach Jamie Nelson, the double-A hitting coach uh, for the Montgomery Biscuits in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. Uh, coach Nelson, thanks for joining us here on the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast, uh, and we wish you the best of luck going forward. Well, folks, that's our show. Um, we at Sports Force are really grateful that you've taken the time to listen to today's episode. And I hope that you found it inspiring and illuminating. Um, I want to give a special thank you to Coach Nelson for taking the time to speak with me. A special thank you also to our Sports Force team members, uh, Andrew Beinbrink, uh, Casey Dill, and Daryl Maison. Uh, and then as well to Chet Salas, who made the beats for this podcast. Um, that's our show. Thank you so much again for listening, and we wish you a wonderful, fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for being a part of the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast, and thank you to our partner, 5 Tool Baseball. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can find our website at sportsforceonline.com. We've got tons of additional recruiting resources for players and parents alike. If you want to ask questions, share insights, or recommend future guests, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at sportsforcebb, and on Facebook and SoundCloud by searching for SportsForce Baseball. You can also follow me on Twitter with the handle at jhcoppinger. We hope you've enjoyed the show and we hope you'll join us for our next episode of the Realities of College Recruiting podcast. For Sports Force, I'm Jack Coppinger asking you to remember that your college decision isn't for year one, it's a four-year one.
1: Thanks for listening.